we're looking at the funniest Shakespeare play that isn't um, under the comedy umbrella. And right. <laughs> I'm really excited for this because I, I think that there are a lot of funny tragedies and a lot of funny histories, and I don't think they get the credit for being as funny as they are. So let's start with you. What do you think is the funniest non-comedy? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 759, Protest Too Much. Protest Too Much is the name of the Shakespeare Showdown podcast created and hosted by Stephanie Craniola, where every week Stephanie and a guest debate some best-of aspect of Shakespeare's characters, plays, or themes. I had the extraordinary blast of recently debating with Stephanie the question of what is Shakespeare's funniest non-comedy, a showdown that went on for about 45 minutes. But this week, I will share with you a reduced 15-minute abridgment of that conversation. Shakespeare's play that is the funniest play that isn't a comedy, I'm going to argue today, is Henry VI, Part One. Ooh, okay. And the reason I say that is that I have always thought that, you know, those folio categories, first folio categories of comedy, history, and tragedy are in, helpful organizationally, but they can kill productions. And I yeah. and I always come to Shakespeare's plays as a practitioner, as a, approaching it as an actor or director or a playwright. And I always think I, I, one of the glories of Shakespeare is that he is theatrical. Um, uh, uh, he he invented or popularized many most of the tricks and tropes that we still use today. Anything that you think you want to say, it probably it's probably true that Shakespeare said it better and in iambic nope. pentameter. <laughs> um, and um, and I thought, and, and I think one of the the other strongest thing about Shakespeare is that he's all about contrast. He's all about. Con I mean, whether you're working on a speech, a, a line, or a character, or his plays, uh, they are they are filled with contrast. And my biggest pet peeve is that I, you know, of all the productions I see of Shakespeare. Too, too many of the comedies are insufficiently grounded in truth and reality and grief oh, and pain. Yes, thank you, yes. And too many of the tragedies and, and histories, especially the histories, lose, uh, forget that there's so much comedy in there. Um, I, 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 thought, I thought I was a bold new thinker on this topic um, <laughs> until very, very recently, because I came across a quote that Samuel Johnson wrote in his 1765 preface to Shakespeare. He wrote, Samuel Johnson wrote, Shakespeare's plays are not in the rigorous and critical sense either tragedies or comedies, but compositions of a distinct kind that approach nearer than either to the appearance of life. Oh. And, and as we know, I mean, it's great to have that backup, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, life is never one thing. Right. Right. Not. I just, I just came to a few. Just came from a funeral and memorial service for uh, an in-law who died way too young, and it was filled with sadness and much, much 
laughter yeah. because you're celebrating his life and, and rather than mourning his death. Um, uh, and, and so that's how I come to these plays, all of them. And uh, it's a line, it was a line in the complete works too. And I don't know whether Adam Long wrote it or Jess Winfield or Daniel Singer, but you know, as we've discovered, Shakespeare's tragedies are much funnier than his comedies. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, you know, when I come to a play, even when I'm treating it seriously, you need to find the comedy. The comedy, I think, um, uh, puts the audience, uh, relaxes the audience, puts them at their ease, and you can sneak up on them. Yes. And I would argue that, that and I have argued, in fact, that, that Ben Elton's sitcom, Upstart Crow. Oh, my gosh. And and his film, All Is True, directed by Kenneth Branagh, I would argue that the last three minutes of the final regular episode of Upstart Crow is more moving than the entire two-hour film of All Is True, which takes itself way too seriously, way too somberly and seriously. I mean, that's like, that's how I feel about Shakespeare in general, is I think that because he is a pulp fiction writer, like he was a, he was a trash writer like he wrote for people instead of writing for people who are up their own butts and so like when we hold Shakespeare in that like really serious way we're, we lose so much of the fun of it and of the pulp and I, I thank you for using that highly academic term <laughs> up their own butts um it's so tr- it's so true, and I just learned this too. Uh, 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 Phyllis Rackin points out in the in the Folger uh, edition of Henry the Sixth Part One that that Henry the Sixth Part One, according to the historical record the records we have, is the second highest grossing production ever for theater manager Philip Henslow, who what? played by Jeffrey Rush in um, uh, it, it, that documentary Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> um, and, and and which tells me that it was an enormously popular play. Yeah. Um, great word of mouth. People must have come back to it. It had a great reputation. The other interesting thing about the Henry VI trilogy, but also part one in particular, is that it's probably one of his early plays, but it, but 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 it might be as early as his fourth or fifth play, Henry VI part one. And the trilogy is kind of what made Shakespeare's reputation. Like he did, Two Gentlemen of Rona first, and then he did Henry VI Part Two, Part Two, and we don't know whether he said, "I'm going to write a play about Henry VI." Boom, done. And or did he was Henry VI Part Two? I mean, was first the first Henry VI play that he wrote so popular that he went, "You know what? I should write a sequel. I should write a sequel." So the next play he wrote was Henry VI Part Three, and then he, I should write a prequel. <laughs> Right, exactly. And then he said, yeah, screw this. I'm, I'll write a sequel and make it a prequel. You know, he, again, Shakespeare was the king of tentpole media 420, 30 yep. years ago. Yeah. Now, Austin, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a secret. I have never read Henry VI Part One. I have started it 15 times and I've never gotten through. Like, I know it and I know the speeches from it and I know, like, I know the play, but I've never, like, it's one of the few that I've never sat down and read all the way through. And why would you? <laughs> why, would you why would you read the Henry VI trilogy? It's, if you come at it, oh, I'm going to read about Henry VI. It's barely about Henry VI. 
Right. I mean, this is one of the disappointing things about it. You go, okay, and 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 Henry Six One is really interesting. I mean, they're all really interesting, but they all focus on these other characters. And 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 as an audience member, I keep going, wait, when when are we going to get to Henry the Six? Who's Talbot? <laughs> who's who's Plantagenet? Oh wait, Plantagenet is now York. Wait, who's Jack Cade? Whoa, <laughs> Margaret is kicking ass and taking names. I love her. Why isn't it called Margaret of Anjou? You know why? Honestly. You know, um, it's. It's I and to con, and to make another confession, I've written two books about Shakespeare, and I only just read the Henry the Sixth trilogy about two years ago, okay. and only and only because I'm in a Shakespeare book club because of course I am, yep. and uh, and and so I first read it, and that's when I when I first read Henry Six Part One, I started to read it, and the very first scene hit me like Monty Python. Henry the Sixth starts with the funeral of Henry the Fifth. And it immediately becomes like Monty Python's Four Yorkshiremen sketch. Do you know this sketch, the Four yes, Yorkshiremen? Yes, I do. Luxury. You know, they keep trying. They keep trying to top each other about how miserable their childhoods yeah. were. Well, Henry V's brothers and his two uncles, Gloucester and Bedford are his brothers, Winchester and Exeter, I think, are his two uncles. Henry V's uncles. They start competing with each other to see who can mourn Henry V the most, the best, the highest, the strongest. Yep, who a sad is, off. <laughs> a sad off, exactly. Yes, who can share the most, a, a performative grief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, as they're, and as they're arguing about it, and it's hysterical because you they keep going, oh, really? I can top that. I We should be mourning in blood, not in tears, you know? Um, uh, as and as they keep arguing, this is another reason I love the play so much, is that Shakespeare gives voice to the the rabble, the common horde, in, in more than in many of his plays. So different messengers keep coming in, and like it, at some point, at one point, the, the 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 nobles can barely get a word out because they keep getting interrupted by messengers who keep telling them worse and worse news <laughs> about the land they're losing in France and the numbers of men who are dying. And in fact, one of the messengers says, awake, awake, English nobility. It, it honestly made me think of the movie that had just come out when I read this two or three years ago, uh, uh, um, Armando Iannucci's The Death of Stalin. And if you've never seen that movie, you I must see that movie. Okay. If you don't know, Armando Iannucci is the guy who created The Thick of It, the British sitcom, and Veep on HBO with Julia oh, okay, Louis-Dreyfus. Okay. And these are comedies about incompetent assholes in power. Comedy is not the opposite of serious. Comedy is the opposite of solemn. And what kills so many Shakespeare productions, even the comedies, is they're so solemn and serious and Shakespeare must be revered. No, no, yes. no, no, no. Shakespeare was a showman. He yes. was, as you were saying, a populist. And the fact that this is the most popular play in his lifetime suggests to me that it was hysterical. I'm Michael Whitmore, director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? 
We're still the remote Shakespeare company for at least five or six more months, but we're beginning to have some small, cautiously optimistic conversations about returning to venues sooner than that if conditions and equity rules permit. We'll keep you posted on Facebook and Twitter as soon as we know anything more. Now back to my conversation with Stephanie Crugnola, the host of Protest Too Much, the Shakespeare Showdown podcast, where Stephanie makes her case that Shakespeare's funniest non-comedy is Henry IV, Part One. Henry the Fourth, Part One, is a play that I have read <laughs> many times. Well, that's a good, very good start. Good start. We're off to a great point. Um, I have played Hal. In Henry the Fourth, Part One, and I, like, I mean, dream of my life, right? Sure. It is surprisingly hilarious. I went into it was the first, um, first. Well, I read Richard the Third, but it was the first um, like actual history that I had read, and I was like, I've been sleeping on these histories because. Falstaff in general. So, like, we can just... That's my, like, argument point one. Falstaff exists. There is the whole tavern scene, this, like, 45-minute scene where Hal and Falstaff are just going back and forth with insult after insult after insult. And there's a reason that every high school teacher in the world uses Shakespeare insults as an introductory lesson to Shakespeare, right? Because it's something that everyone can appreciate. We can all appreciate trash talk. And... When it comes from Hal and Falstaff, the thing that I like about that, um, about those insults and about that trash talk is that they're all coming from a place of love. Like, yes, they're being brutal and vicious to each other, but they love each other. There's so much, uh, so much family love between them. And it's funny when you see two people roasting each other. We watch roasts for a reason, and it's because <laughs> we want to laugh at other people trashing on other people that they, you know, deep down like. Um, you know, of course, the uh, the egging on of Falstaff, was it three? No, seven. No, it was nine men in Buckram. We just get that escalation and the physical comedy of those scenes. We get Francis running back and forth and back and forth. And that scene alone, I think, is probably one of the funniest scenes just written in Shakespeare, full stop, period. Because there's so much physical comedy. There's so much... Um, verbal comedy and then it gets like a little serious at the end yeah oh, and yeah. then they go back to stealing Falstaff's pockets uh when he takes a nap behind the curtain so like it has this roller coaster of emotions and it's all rooted in making the audience laugh and I love it can I ask you as a veteran of playing uh the prince <laughs> um how did you play that big monologue at the end of whatever it is, the first scene of the first act, where he talks about, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slum it here, but then I'm gonna, I'll be king, don't worry about it, it's all gonna be good. Did you, did you, did you play it like, no, I'm slumming and I'm putting everybody on, or did you embrace this, fully embrace this uh, debauched, decadent nightlife because that was the thing you really wanted to do with your life. Not be king, not follow your father. What, did you make it a real choice? So I kind of actually put it somewhere in the middle of that. Like this is, this tavern time is the only thing giving me life right now. This yeah. is the only thing that I have for me. And so I am going to take advantage of the only time that I've got. Because there is a time, and like I know 
I have responsibilities and I know that like in a very short amount of time, I'm going to have to take them, but please just give me these moments. Like, please just let me revel in this debauchery as long as I can. If we don't have a Hal who truly belongs in East Cheap, we don't get St. Crispin's Day because St. Crispin's Day is born of being one of many. It is, it is not a, I am your leader speech. It is a, we are all in this together and here is and like i i am one of you forever nor do we get my i think what is arguably my favorite scene in shakespeare is the, the scene in henry 5 the night before the battle when henry walks amongst his yes. leaders yes. yes he knows who these people these guys are they don't know him but he knows who they are and yes. that this just occurs to me as we're talking one of my other favorite scenes is the one you talked about where how uh, uh, and Falstaff role play about mm -hmm. how that's going. I mean, in both of these scenes, I, and this speaks to my love of Shakespeare generally, in both of these scenes, Shakespeare is writing scenes in which the players play roles. There is theatrical role playing and through yep. such theatrical role playing, truth is revealed. And that becomes incredibly immediate and dramatic and, 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 and moving as you were saying. Yeah. And I, I, it's so, it's why Hal is probably my favorite character in the canon, because I think that it's also a little unfair because we do get to see such growth from him. We get him across three plays. We get him in very comedic scenes. We get him in battle scenes. We get him in serious scenes. Like we get all of it. Um, but there's just so much heart in him and so much, like he wants to connect with everyone around him. And when we're watching a play, that's all we want, right? We want to feel like, we're part of something. So let's talk about Hotspur. Mm. Uh, talk about a comedic character who yes. is, when we look at <laughs> actors playing these roles very seriously, like that comedy comes from sincerity. And Hotspur is so <laughs> sincerely mad. <laughs> he's such a he's such a hothead, of course, right? And yeah. we can laugh at that because we know that this is a play. And because we're that one step removed, like those scenes are hilarious. They are, and 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 there's a there's something appealing about Hotspur to Hal, like when they finally meet on the battlefield, it's a kind of a polite, almost friendly <laughs> greeting because it's like, you know, Hal's going, dude, I wish I could be you without the responsibilities of being me. And with that battle scene taunting of, well, looks like there's only room for one Harry in England. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, right. man, you know what? I think you've convinced me. <laughs> I do win. How do we judge this? <laughs> Austin, thank you so much for being here. Let Stephanie, everyone... thank you. This was, <laughs> this was super fun. My goodness. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. You can hear Stephanie's and my entire conversation by searching for Protest Too Much wherever you find your podcasts. All of her episodes are lively, intelligent conversations, and you can find Stephanie and the Protest Too Much podcast on Twitter and Facebook at P2MPod, and you can support Stephanie and Protest Too Much on Patreon at patreon.com slash P2MPod. 
Then send us your Shakespeare showdown via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and I hope you'll check out my new website, The Shakespeareans. There you can find more information on how I can help you with monologues, presentations, or writing projects. Check out theshakespeareans.com and my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to Gallant Percy Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Marcus Diabolo. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Michael Whitmore, the director of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 759, 2277ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. All right, so I'm pretty I'm pretty convinced that Henry VI part fun, part, part yes, fun. Yes, yes, that's exactly how we'll sell it. Henry VI part fun. This podcast is a production of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.